right, guys, we are continuing in our study of Mark, picking up at chapter 3, starting at verse 7, and we're going to run all the way down through the rest of the chapter. Chapter, And again, if you haven't read this, pause the video, go read the, the um, this passage of Mark, and then come back. But I really would encourage you to be reading this passage maybe once a day, really to familiarize yourself. Go to iatem.com to get some great questions that you can ask uh, yourself, make notes, uh, and, and try to find what what is God teaching? What is what is the truth that God's trying to communicate uh, through this part of, of Mark? A handful of things that I wanted to highlight, though. So we got this first section, starting at verse 7, where Jesus is continuing to draw large crowds. And I want to highlight for you um, what he says in verses 11 and 12. It says, And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell, fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Now we've seen this a couple of times where demons are crying out truths about Jesus and Jesus hushes them. I think that's a really fascinating thing. And we're going to see, I'm going to deal with that a little bit deeper into the passage, but please note that is these demons are recognizing who he is and they are declaring who he is, yet Jesus is silencing them. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, and then you go on to the next section and Jesus appoints his 12 apostles. Look at verse 14. He says, and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, I just want to highlight that, you know, there are some cults out there that say that they have apostles today and they claim that they are, uh, they've inherited the, or, or have been appointed to the same office that these original 12 were appointed to. Now, uh, I believe that that is not true and that is not accurate, that there are no longer apostles. And let me just run through a handful of passages that I think are very relevant. You know, after Jesus ascended uh, in Acts chapter 1, and before the uh, Holy Spirit arrived, uh, there's this time where the apostles are trying to do, figure out what do we do with the vacant slot that Judas uh, uh, left. You know, Judas betrayed Jesus. He's no longer uh, an apostle. It says in verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us, and this is Peter talking, during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So we're like, guys, it needs to be somebody who's been with us from the very beginning, who has walked with Jesus this entire time, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness of his resurrection. Now, that's a really important requirement for the office of apostle. And part of the reason why I believe that there was only this, this group of, of people that have been apostles, there will be no other apostles. And then look at what it says in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And it says, he gave, and he's talking about the gifts that God has given to his church in the form of people. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up 
of the body of Christ. Each of those different people, God has designed as gifts to the church to build us up. Now, how are the apostles serving us today? Look at Acts 2.42. He says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. This is a very familiar passage to our church because these are the four things that we really want to be about. But notice he says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, that teaching is not your pastor's teaching. The equivalent of that is not what I am saying, what any pastor is saying. What we're trying to do is help you to understand what God has said here and, and to understand what the apostles and the prophets have written. The apostles are serving the church today through the words that were communicated to us through the New Testament. So I believe that even though God, so God gave the gift of apostles and prophets, evangelists, teachers, and shepherds, as it says in uh, Ephesians 4, they are still a gift to us today because we have our Bible. Okay, moving along. And then look at Mark uh, chapter 3, verses 28 through 30. And, and here's another very interesting thing that a lot of times we can get People can get hung up on, and Jesus has this interaction where the where the the Pharisees accuse Jesus of 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 throwing demons out of people by the power of Satan. So they're accusing Jesus of working under the power of Satan. They're saying he has an unclean spirit, and then what does Jesus say? He he basically gives them the logic of if that's true, then Satan would be against Satan. That makes no sense, guys. Why would I be trying to defeat what Satan is trying to accomplish in this world if I'm working under the power of Satan? And he has this very interesting phrase, that he, or this uh, idea that's, that's uh, put in verse 28. He says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Now, there, there have been Christians, and you might struggle with this today, or you might know somebody who struggled with this today, who just are gripped with fear that they have personally committed this, what's called the unpardonable sin, because Jesus is saying all sins are going to be forgiven except for if you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to encourage you that I do not believe if you are worried that you've committed that sin, I don't believe that you have committed that sin because you're concerned about it. I don't believe that a person today can, can actually commit this sin. The reason I say that is because look at verse 30. He, he explains what exactly happens. He says, the reasoning for what his argument is that for they were saying he has an unclean spirit. I personally believe that the unpardonable sin is to accuse Jesus of not working into the power of the Holy Spirit, but working under the power of a demon. In other words, this is a sin that could only be committed uniquely at the time when Jesus is on the earth and performing uh, uh, his miracles in front of people. And this is a complete and total rejection of what the Holy Spirit has done. So that's my personal take on that passage. 
And then moving on, I just want to highlight this last section because this ties back in to what I said before about Jesus hushing the demons. Verse 31 says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called to him. Now, keep in mind, there's huge crowds. You know, they're packing. We, we saw how they're actually packing into homes in such a way that it's so difficult. It's incredibly difficult to even get close to him. And in verse 32, it says, And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. I mean, this is like the kind of thing where if, um, you know, Verizon or Comcast or, you know, your cell phone provider were to call you and say, Hey, we've got a question for you about your billing. If that message came to you and you were in an important meeting, do you think people would interrupt the important meeting just to tell you, uh, you know, what your utility provider has a message for you? They're not going to interrupt. But if your mom calls you, you know, your, your, your brother, your sister calls you, they're probably going to interrupt the meeting and say, hey, your mom's on the phone. Do you, can you, you take this call? In verse 33, he said, he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. He is not taking the call from his mother. That's shocking to us, but in their culture, that is an even more shocking thing. Verse 35, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my brother and my mother. Jesus is prioritizing the earthly biological relationships that he has below the relationship with the people that are following him. And this is completely parallel to James. And look at, look at James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Remember this whole section of James when we went through this a couple of months ago? How James was talking about, guys, what good is it to hear the word if you're not doing the word? What good is it to know your right theology if you're not actually following that right theology? And the point that James is making is that if you were to give a theology test to a demon, they would ace it. Demons know all the truth. Look, he's saying if someone says he has faith but does not works, have works, how could that faith save him in the verse 18? But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And then this is the kicker. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. In other words, the demons know that truth. They know, as it says here in Mark, they know that Jesus is the Son of God. Knowing doesn't matter if you're not obeying. It doesn't matter if you have the right answers to the Sunday school questions. The, the question is, is that, is that knowledge translated into faith? And real faith is proven by our actions. Jesus rejects all of the normal ways that we would associate and, and, and create value with relationships, like, like parents and 
spouse and siblings. And he says, who are my real siblings? Who are my real family? It's those that are walking with me that are following me. I think those are some really interesting things to think about, especially in light of where we studied not too long ago in the book of James, which puts so much emphasis on obedience beyond just knowledge. We got to know before we can obey, but, but if we know and we're not following what God is teaching us and going the direction that he's teaching us, then, then that isn't enough. We are missing the main thing. So I just encourage you to think in terms of what are some of the things that God's leading you in? How are you being obedient to that? And share some of that with your intentional relationships. Uh, let other people know where's the point, where's the place where you're wrestling. And then let's encourage one another. and Let's pray for one another as we walk together and we follow God and we bear fruit for his kingdom. Mm-hmm.